went to the beaches of France and the intensity of the battle. And it's interesting to listen to some of the, the old soldiers and, you know, some of them now, most of them are well in their 90s. And, you know, the reckon well, most of them will never see the 80th, 80th um, commemorations. But it's interesting just listening to them talk about the battles. You know, you've all seen films and, you know, whether they were on the beaches. And, the, and it brings it home to the intensity of the battle. It brings it home just to the, the, the size of the battle and the whole logistics and everything that is needed for a thing like D-Day to come around. And the way you got to look at that, that was just the start of the battle. After that, they had to go on into the, start of the, into the midst of Europe. But that was to gain the foothold so that they could go on and defeat the enemy. And, you know, just as Pastor was preaching last week, and he was talking about some of the battles that are now we're starting to face and starting to see. <coughs> and basically, if you don't think you're in a battle, where have you been? Because we are in the midst of a battle. We are in the midst of a battle. The minute you bowed the knee to Jesus and he washed you clean in his blood, you became a member of the battle. You became a member of God's army. Now, nobody joins the army for a life of ease and a life of pleasure and a life of, well, I can do what I want, I can take it or leave it. Because every day, and even more we've noticed recently, on a church level, we're in the midst of a battle. You know, Christianity nowadays is just treated as another religion, especially in the Western world. It's just another religion. You know, we, they believe in Jesus, others believe in whatever, but we're just on the same level. So our church, the church, is in the midst of a battle. On a personal level, you are in the midst of a battle. As the church, as a personal level, you're in the midst of a battle. Whether you're in school, university, you're in your job, wherever you find yourself, you are in the midst of a battle. Maybe you don't have a look. Maybe I'm preaching to the converted. Maybe you've never looked at it like this. I hope you have. Everything is being pushed upon us to believe a different doctrine. To believe in a God, as Pastor said last week, who is Jesus meek and mild. The pastor just preached and showed that Jesus wasn't always that mild character because he stood for the truth. Jesus knew he was in a battle. You know, Matthew 24, Mark 13 and Luke 21 talks about Jesus in the end days when the disciples came to him and says, What's, when will these last days come? When are they coming? And Jesus said, let me just read a couple of things about Jesus. You don't have to turn to it. Jesus said, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. There's the start of the battle already. People are trying to deceive the true church of Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is that most of that is coming from within and not without. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. And shall declare many 
and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. <coughs> then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, if that doesn't describe a battle to you, I don't know what a battle to you is. Jesus is saying we are in the midst of a battle on a church level and on a personal level. One of those verses says, many will come and say, I am Christ. And yes, there is characters in the world who think that they are Christ. But I think it's saying much more than that. They're saying this is the doctrine of Christ. And it's a lie. It's a lie to the true church of Jesus Christ. And it's there to deceive many. You know, you don't have to look very far within the church and you'll see that a lot of lies have been swallowed. A lot of lies have been swallowed. And the church... Has, has, has found treason from within. And these are all battle words because it is a battle. There's treason that has crept into the, the, the ranks of the church. Christ loves everyone. But listen, the Bible says that he doesn't accept everyone. But lo, Jesus love. How can a God of love do this? Let this happen. But Jesus said it would happen. And this is the battle that you and I are in. You know, when you look around you now, things aren't changing by the years. They're changing by the months. And sometimes they're changing by the week. There's laws being talked about and being passed, coming down the line, that are going to make it very, very hard for you and I to stand for the truth. You know, we all know the stories, even already, where street preachers have been arrested. <coughs> This isn't in China, this is in, this is in Britain. Even in the pulpit, the people are saying, no, I really can't say that. You can't say that. You can't preach from this book. We're under attack. The battle lines are drawn. And as pastors preach, and you know, I've been in this church 23 years, and I remember we talked about things as if they were down the line. But now those things are here now. It's not coming. It's here. And you and I are in a battle. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it's a case of either we're going to fight or we're going to flee. There is no neutral ground in this battle. There's no standing in the middle I'm saying, we'll see how it goes, or I can believe this and not this, or I can take a little bit of this or a little bit of that. It's fight or it's flee, and there's no middle ground. Now, I'm not talking about a physical fight, because Jesus says we, are, we wrestle not against 
flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But we're in a battle. And I wouldn't have to talk to too many years to realize you know you're in a battle. So that brings us to Psalm 78, and let's just read a few verses. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which you have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should be make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them unto their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Especially verses 9 and the 11. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. This is one of the most embarrassing things I think ever for an army it's one of the most ridiculous things for an army it's one of the most shameful things for an army and it's one of the most laughable things for an army and it's the saddest statement for an army that an army would turn back in the day of battle that they would refuse to fight when the battle came. Can you imagine David Cameron sending the, ar- the British army into battle and they said, no, we're not going to go. We're not going to fight. We're frightened. The battle's too strong for us. The battle's too much for us. We're not going to go. How ridiculous does that sound to you and I? Can you picture Barack Obama sending the American army and saying, no, we don't want to go. We're just going to see how this goes and we're going to sit this one out. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. It's laughable. And it's sad. This psalm goes back to the first Samuel chapter 4. I just want to just share a few things with you. This is where commentators say that this psalm comes from. And this is what it says about Israel, God's army. Listen to what it says. The the, the Israelites were under servitude to the Philistines. And they went to break out. Listen to some of the things it says. And the word of Samuel came into all Israel. This is 1 Samuel 4. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel 
And when they joined the battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore has the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may serve us out of the hand of our enemies. What you remember here, Israel is in sin and has rejected God. And isn't, their heart isn't turned towards them. But they say to themselves, we've got the ark. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring forth the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwells between the cherubims and the two sons. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. These were two priests of Eli. These were Eli's sons. And they were wicked men. They, 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 they brought this disrepute and disrespect to the ministry. There was prostitutes involved. There was alcohol involved. They took the, the, the offerings that were for God, and they took them for themselves. And when the Ark of the, the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What means the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the Ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there has not been such a thing here before. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O you Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were slain. Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter. And the psalm we read there reports back to this story. And this is where they turned back. They turned back. There was a lip service to God because these people were God's people. But it was only in lip service. There was no heart commitment. No heart commitment. In Psalm 70 of verse 8, it talks about they, they hadn't set their heart and they, didn't, they weren't steadfast towards their God. And then when they had that small defeat, there was an arrogant presumption among them. Let's get the ark of God. That's what's done it in the past. The ark went out before, and we had great victories. So they had an arrogant presumption. We have God on our side. And the way they said it was, well, God will just turn up for us. But listen, how many know that you can't live whatever way you want? and expect God just to turn up for you. And that's the attitude that these people had. They said, when we need them, then we'll just go back, we'll, we'll, we'll use them for what we need, and then we'll go back to living our own ways. You know, it was like, God, we'll call you, don't call us. We'll call upon you when we need you. We'll say thank you, and then we'll go on with the way we're living. You know, the ark which represented the presence of God, really became a talisman to them. It became a charm to them. We'll just show them the ark, and that's the victory. 
But we can't treat God like that. They wanted to say God's in the middle of us, but we, we really are going to live in whatever way we want. You know, that's like, like they were sitting in the house with their uniform on. And all, the, all their arms and all the, all the shields and the swords going. But there was no commitment. Their heart was not there for God. And God wasn't going to be treated like a fool. This is why it was an embarrassment to them. It says they went back to each to their own tent. They went back to their own tent embarrassed. Because this is what it was. You know, an army that won't fight and an army that's going to turn back is easily demoralized. It's, it's embarrassed. They talk, but it's an empty talk. It's an embarrassment to its people. As I said at the start, imagine saying, that, well, we're God's army. And look at the state of them. The people are saying, what's wrong with our army? They were an embarrassment to their own people. They were an embarrassment to Israel. And most importantly, they're an embarrassment to their commander-in-chief, who was God himself. They were an embarrassment to him because they refused to fight. This was God's army. But the nations were saying, where is your God? Where is your God? This was God's so-called army. <coughs> Let me just read some verses for me from Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. <coughs> this is what this army was like. This is what the children of Israel, the great victories that they had. This was their reputation. Listen to some of these stories. This is when the spies went into, into Jericho and they were sounding it out. And it said, before they were laid down and they came into, they'd come into Rahab's house. And listen to what Rahab says. And before they were laid down, she came up onto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror, listen, your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Joshua 5. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on this side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites that were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over. Listen again. That their heart melted Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. And then in Joshua 6, just the story of Jericho, one verse. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came out. How did this army go from that to where they were? 
their reputation was gone. Look at the stuff that, that God had done through them. Their reputation, the people were in terror before them. But their reputation has gone. They've went from victory to failure. This is meant to be God's army. And tell me, who fears an army like this? Let me ask you a question. The church today doesn't have that reputation. Because the church is the army of God. But its reputation, especially in the Western world, is gone. It's an irrelevance. And nobody fears the church. Nobody fears God. What happened? Well, in those chapter verses we read in Joshua, if you look at what they said, we heard what the Lord has done. Harry dried up the Jordan. Harry gave you great victories over the two kings of the Amorites. Those two kings of the Amorites, Og and Shihon, especially Og of Kinabashan, he was of the giants, related of the relations of, of, of um, Goliath. And God gave them great victory. And the people around about heard what God had done. And that was the key. It was God who had done it. But this army became complacent. And they started to believe their own hype. They started to believe, well, we can do this. They started to believe, well, we're the children of God. We're the church of God. God's on our side. And they started to believe that it was they could do it. They fought on the strength of their past glories. They got to the stage that says, we can do this. If you look at what it says, it says they were armed and they had bows. And that, that was the weaponry of those days. So they were armed to the teeth, this army. But they started to rely on their weapons. They started to rely on their bows. It says, we've got the ark. God's presence is with us as well. But it turned out God wasn't with them. It goes on in that story that the wife of one of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, gave birth to a son after they were killed and Eli died. And she called him Ichabod, which means the glory of God is gone. It's departed from out of our land. But they were still saying, we can do this. Makes me think of Samson in Judges 16. Samson, we know his life well. Our God said about his hair, to let it grow, never shave it. And that was the covenant that God wanted from him. And while he had that hair, while he adhered to the covenant, God was with him. But he was a selfish man. He wanted his own things. He loved the flesh. He loved his indulgence flesh. And we know how with Delilah, she pestered him and says, Samson, where does your great strength come from? When she was working for the Philistines, where does your great strength come from? And he told her certain things. You braid my hair, my strength goes. Philistines came in, he killed a lot of them. By breeds, Binded him with, 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 with new reeds. 
He lied there again. The Philistines came in. He killed them again. But then he came to the stage where he told her exactly where, her strength, where his strength came from. And she cut his hair. She cut the covenant. He allowed the covenant between him and God to be ruined. And he didn't keep his side of it. Because God is a covenant-keeping God, but he expects us to keep our side of it. I can see Samson at that stage. It says he stood up and he said to himself, he said he stood up like he did before and shook himself and said to himself, I'll do to these Philistines what I've always done in the past. He stood up with his chest puffed out Smile on his face probably to say, what do I show these and what I can do? But then all of a sudden, he shook himself as before and there was nothing there. Absolutely nothing there. And in that moment, I'm sure his shoulders dropped. That chest went in. Those shoulders dropped. That smile was wiped right off his face when he came to the realization, God is not with me. God has left me. He was a shadow of the man that he was called to be. And I'm sure, and it doesn't, Bible doesn't tell us, but I, I always wondered in that moment, what did Samson think? And I, I probably like to think in that moment he realized not that he couldn't kill the Philistines and I've lost all my strength, but I have let God down. I haven't kept the covenant of God. And this is why this has happened to me. He knew he had let God down. The realization had dawned on him. But he didn't recognize it until it was too late. And as I said there in those verses in Psalm 78... It says, the children of Israel, Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. And here it is, they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Thousand promises were broken, idols were set up, and the living God was forsaken. They were brought out of Egypt in order to be a people separated unto the Lord. They had pledged themselves at Sinai to keep the law and they willfully disobeyed it and became covenant breakers. Disregarded the covenant of God. It says all, the, all their past victories that God had done, the mighty signs and wonders, the miracles, the love, the care and attention that God had shown them was discarded. They wouldn't keep the covenant. But the Bible says we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. What am I saying? What am I saying? The church today, to a large degree, in the Western world, is an irrelevance. It's a weak, toothless situation. It's a weak and toothless 
don't know the word corporation, and it's not the right word I'm looking for, but it's weak and it's toothless. And it's just an irrelevance. To many degree, the church has become a focus group. But it was never called to be a focus group. You know, the New Testament words, and this is where I want to apply to ourselves, to you this morning in this room, the church. Some of the New Testament words is we're called the soldiers. It talks of armor. It talks of weapons. It calls us to stand. It talks of the fight. It talks of our warfare. It calls us to wrestle. Every one of those words is applied to an army. And it is applied to us, the army of God. Each of us in this room that knows Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we bowed the knee to him, became part of God's army. And we are called to arms. We are called to arms. We are called to report for duty. And listen, there's no out. There's no fence sitting. You're either in or you're out. There's no in between, no middle ground. Notice what it says about the army of God. And this is about you today and me. It says we are armed and carrying bows. We have weapons. We have weapons. And they are the right weapons for the war we are in. And the main weapon is this word. It's the word. It's the Bible you hold in your hand. It's the Bible that you read. And this is why the devil tries to silence this word. Because if he silences this word, then your greatest weapon has gone. Because this is the truth of the word of God. From Genesis to Revelation is the word of God. It is a weapon. The sword of the Spirit. We have everything that we need. Ephesians talks of the the armor of God. We have all the armor and we have all the weapons that we need. God hasn't left us short. The only problem is for the church is not fighting as it should fight. God's army, you and I, were never made for defeat. Never made for defeat. We were never made to be conquered. We are to be conquerors. We are to be conquerors. What does the Bible say? For we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. We were never made for defeat. We were made for victory. What does the Bible say? David says in the Psalms, he teaches my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. Blessed be the Lord my strength which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I trust who subdueth my people under me. That's the army of God. Let me just read a couple more verses from you for you. 
just to bring that home. from 2nd Samuel 22 and that's where this one of these psalms is from verse 31 listen to what it says as for God his way is perfect the word of the Lord is tried he is a buckler to all them that trust in him for who is God save the Lord and who is a rock save our God God is my strength and power and he maketh my way perfect he maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon high places. He teaches my hands to war, so the bow of steel is broken by my arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and destroyed them, and turned not again until I had consumed them. And I have consumed them and wounded them, that they could not arise, yes, they are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me has thou subdued under me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. They looked, but there was none to save, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them as small as the dust of the earth. I did stamp them as the mire of the street and did spread them abroad." Do you know that encourages the life out of me? <laughs> See what it does? When you read those scriptures, it, just, it does something in you. But that is what we are called to do. Not physically, but spiritually. Do you want to crush your enemy spiritually into the dust that he cannot rise again? Well, we are called to victory. We are called to victory and to overcome and we have the weapons, we have the armor, and we have God. We have God on our side. I want to encourage the church, but the message for me has been a challenge. And I know they always sort of say, leave your message with a positive. Well, I want to leave you with a positive challenge. Because we need to stand up and fight. You know where you are yourself with God. Are you fighting? Are you fighting for God? (coughs) Or are you fleeing? You may call it fleeing. If you're not in the battle, you're fleeing. Because you're called to fight. Church, we need to restore the covenant our side of it. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. And God says, if I will. If you do, I will. And God won't be found short. What is found short is us. And I speak to myself as much as you. I want to have victory in my life. And listen, Does that mean there won't be any tough battles? No. Because we are in an arena of war. And there will be tough battles. But I can tell you the outcome, if you fight, will be victory. And I'm not telling you that. The Word of God is telling you that. For we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us.
Is this book, is it a talisman? Is it a charm? We quote scriptures at the devil, but our lives are not right. We're sitting there in our general's uniform. We're armchair generals. God says, I want you on the battlefield. I want you on the battlefield. And I will give you the victory. Some of us are saying, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm preaching, I'm holding on. And there's an element of timing in God's victory. But sometimes we're not in the fight and we're using God's word as a charm. Listen, this is the truth of Almighty God. Our commander-in-chief. God's power flows from the covenant. It flows from the covenant. He said to these people, they forgot my covenant. The power comes from the covenant. And we have to meet our side of the covenant. He said, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. We fight from the place of covenant. That's where our victory is. From what God says. Listen, let's be an army. An army of God. Not in name only. That's a ridiculous thing. An army in name only. You know, we were out the other week, the pastor and a few of the other guys, and you were walking around the golf course at Lurgan. And we were chatting about, you know, going and having a round of golf and we used to talk and I remember years ago when I played golf with my dad and, and we were saying you get the guys come on to the first tee and they come out and they pull the clubs out of the car and they've got the best bag and they've got the big shiny clubs brand new thousands of pounds worth pull them up in the trolley and they've got their, their trousers on you know their green trousers or red trousers that's what golfers were you know this and they've got their, their jumper on Pringle jumper the diamonds and stuff. No, you know what I'm talking about. They've got the glove on. And they pull the big driver out. Doesn't matter where it's a par three or whatever. They pull the driver out. And, down, and, and, and the first thing you're thinking if you're watching them is, these guys must be good. That's what you think. These guys must be good. And he goes out for the club. And he swings. And he comes through. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know what it's even like. He just whack. And the ball's just goes about five feet in front of them. And you're stuck behind these people. Oh, for goodness sake, we'll be here all day. <laughs> Listen, I know that's a silly illustration. But we can look like an army. But we want to fight like an army. Fight like the army of God. Let me finish. David's mighty men. They were called David's mighty men for a reason. These mighty men fought tooth and nail. You can read about it and I think it's 1 Samuel 27. I just don't have the scripture to hand. And David's mighty men fought as individuals. Tells the story of the fought as individuals. Some of them protected their land. Some of them were protecting their villages, whatever. And they slew hundreds. But would it tell you something? When that army came together, they were an awesome sight. They were a frightening sight. But it wasn't just an image. It was a reality. Listen, you have to learn how to fight in your own. In this word, in your prayer room, before God. 
And then when we come together, by God's grace, we will be an awesome sight. We will stand as God's covenant people and God won't hold back in fulfilling his covenant. But it depends on us. And church, this is the challenge I've felt and I'm sharing with you. This, we are in a battle. I was in Belfast yesterday and there was a, I didn't even know there was a march on against racism. And listen, great cause and that's right. But some of the signs I read no to racism. No to religion. How far away is it before they say, listen, we don't want you. It's very close. And you are going to have to stand and fight. I am going to have to stand and fight for the truth. Again, not physically, not just to go out of your way to be rude and ignorant, but we have to stand for the truth of God. Let me just read you a wee phrase just to finish with. It's an old book by a man called William Gurnall, an old Puritan preacher. But listen to this is what he says. He says, The subject of the treaty is solemn, a war between the saint and Satan. And it is such a bloody one that the cruelest war ever fought by men will be seen as but sport and child's play compared to this. It is a spiritual war that you shall read of, not a history of what was fought many ages past and is now over, but of a war now going on. The tragedy is present with us, and it is not taking place at the farthest end of the world. It concerns you and everyone who reads of it. The stage in which this war is fought is every man's soul. There are no neutrals in this war. The whole world is engaged in the quarrel either for God against Satan or for Satan against God. I think that sums it up. Church, we are called to be the army of God. Amen. Victorious overcomers. But it has to come from the place of covenant. We are God's called by his name. At the start of the year, I know there was messages preached which were challenging from, from Pastor, and he's been challenged just since that, from myself, Yule, and, and, and Jason, and others that have come through. Listen, have you any new practices since that? Have you changed anything so that you can actually learn to be a soldier of God? Has anything in your life changed? Have you put a wee bit more time aside with the word of God? Are you praying a wee bit more? Are you seeking God's face a bit more? Or are you just saying, that was, that was a good message, really challenged, thanks very much, and you've moved on. Church, you are in the middle of a war now, today. And the nature of that war is cruelty. And there will be no holding back from the enemy. But I want to be on the side that crushes the enemy to dust that he can't rise again. Church, I'm just challenging you with that today as I've been challenged. We're called to be the army of God, victorious in Christ. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the challenge of your word. Because, Lord, you challenge us because you want us to be better. You want us to be victorious. You want us to be overcomers. And that's why you challenge us. That's why your word speaks to us so strongly at times. Lord, I just pray for your spirit for, to be upon your people. The Lord, that you would turn their hearts, Lord. Turn their minds. Cause their, their hearts and their minds to turn towards things of the covenant. To the things of God. To the things that really matter in this world. Lord, we want to be found on your side. Fighting, Lord. Fighting strongly, Lord. And Lord, in your grace, overcoming and being more than conquerors through your son, Jesus, who loves us. Father, I worship you this morning. Glorify you and honor you for who you are. You are our Lord and our God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.